Hello friends, this is the AlphaList podcast. I am your host Toby. The goal of the AlphaList podcast is to empower CTOs with the info and insight they need to make the best decisions for their company. We do this by hosting top thought leaders and picking their brains for insights into technical leadership and tech trends. If you believe in the power of accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. Plus, if you're an experienced CTO, you will love the discussion happening in our Slack space where over 600 CTOs are sharing insights or visit one of our events. Just go to alphalist.com to apply. This podcast is proudly presented by the Haufe HR Chatbot. The Haufe HR Chatbot is a self-service tool that answers most important HR-related questions by your employees in a legally secure and fast and automated way. It comes with more than 300 pre-formulated answers and associated questions and is continuously updated and expanded by a professional editorial team. Haufe guarantees to answer with legally compliant and up-to-date content. It's simply a 24-7 service for employees. Whether in the office or remotely, employees receive a quick response at any time and from anywhere. It comes with a mood barometer. The chatbot automatically compiles regular insights on topics that are frequently requested in the company. It does not require major IT integration and is set up in no time. If you're interested, just visit haufe.de slash chatbot and with the coupon code alphalist, you don't have to pay the setup fees. Welcome to the Alphalist podcast. I am your host, Toby. And today with me is a woman with a very German last name. Uh, she's called Catherine Köhler. Um, but I guess people over there don't call you Köhler. Catherine, is that correct? That's right. They call me Kohler, unfortunately. But but you say it right, Toby. So thank you. And you're working as director of productivity engineering at Netflix, which sounds like a like a quite exciting job. And you worked before for Chen Zuckerberg Initiative, for Evernote, for Ericsson. So you have like quite an impressive uh, like path you went through. Um, like, do you want to want to want to add anything? Like, yeah. Well, thank how, you. How did, how did it come to that? <laughs> uh, thank you for characterizing it as impressive. I characterize it more as meandering and opportunistic, and so things that I was interested in doing and new opportunities show up. I I usually take them. Uh, just to learn more. I have a very non-traditional background. I came from mechanical engineering as an undergraduate student. And I have learned this business just through taking what comes my way uh, and what piques my interest. And so it's been gaming, it's been productivity, it's been scientific tooling and infrastructure, philanthropy, uh, all sorts of things. And I live in the Bay Area in California, Silicon Valley, uh, so there are lots of opportunities around to to take advantage of. So, but yes, most recently Netflix. Uh, I run part of the productivity organization focused on developer tooling, uh, infrastructure platforms, and things like that. And that's not a not a typical career path. Like, uh, can you tell us a bit more about your 
like when you discovered your your geek or a nerd what is what is your nerd journey <laughs> my nerd journey oh my gosh i knew i was a nerd at a young age i love math and science from about 7th grade so about 12 years old and on uh, i got very interested in automobile racing in high school and uh, loved all things cars. Actually, German cars are my favorite. I am a huge Porsche fan uh, and went to college to study mechanical engineering to design race cars. And when I graduated, I, I went to Stanford, so in the Bay Area, and I graduated and, and there was this little technical revolution going on uh, during that time frame. I landed in an automotive tech company building engine diagnostic tooling because I had taken an intro to computer science class as an undergrad. And I realized, whoa, this is so much cooler. <laughs> and if I mess up, I, I won't really kill anybody, right? Like mechanical engineering is tough. Um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of like fault tolerance and risk analysis. And, and yes, that, that happens with software as well. Um, but I just found it to be a much cooler, cleaner implementation that scratched all of my technical, sciencey, mathy uh, itches. So yeah, I mean, the nerd revolution started pretty early for me. <laughs> um, but you know, I haven't really stuck to, I mean, I, I, I know few people who end up being what they thought they were going to be when they were, when they were a kid, but my path was pretty weird, but again, opportunistic, right? Just find something, latch onto it. Somebody gave me a chance as a software engineer and I took it. And um, did you work as an like engineer for a longer time? And uh, how, how is that? Yeah, I did. Uh, so an individual contributor, like an actual programming engineer. Yes, uh, I did that for the first probably eight or nine years of my career and uh, was also a, a player coach, as we say over here, for quite some time where I was managing small enough teams where I could still be contributing non-critical path code uh, just to keep my hands in there. Uh, sadly, the last time I probably checked something in professionally was about eight years ago. So people, people do what they can to keep me out of the code base now. It's probably for everybody's best interest because <laughs> I'm much better at the organizational level and the resourcing level and, and uh, developing teams and, and, and you know, pulling together high-performance teams and, and going after best practices and things like that. So. So um, before you tell us more about your, your current job and, and what you do there, maybe like in a nutshell, Netflix, ruthless, independent culture. Yes. Can you tell us a bit more? Like, I, I guess, I mean, we're, we're European, so not, not everyone knows that. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are interested, the Netflix culture memo is online and it's something that we recommend to all prospective candidates to take a look at because our culture is very different from most other cultures, uh, most other company cultures. We value uh, freedom and responsibility. We value context, not control loosely coupled, highly aligned. We treat people like adults. We give you an enormous amount of autonomy and latitude, and we're famous for not having any rules or policies. So we don't do expense reports. <laughs> you know, like we, we don't approve sort of spends. We trust that people are making the right decisions and we hold you accountable if you're not. Uh, we also 
you know, managers and, and leaders within the organization spend a lot of time aggregating information for their highly skilled, talent-dense dream team of uh, individual contributors so that we put a lot of the decision-making on them because we trust them and we hire uh, very well. Um, it can at times uh, get a bad rap for being ruthless. Uh, I think it's not. <laughs> uh, and ruthless from the perspective of we value radical feedback. We value radical candor, um, so much so that you give feedback to whomever is in the organization at whatever level in real time. Obviously, we expect it to be kind and diplomatic and well-intentioned and constructive, but you know, we'll have somebody stop somebody in the C-suite during a presentation and just give feedback in the moment. And, and that can be a little bit jarring for people, but it actually creates a very healthy environment where people are constantly learning and growing. Um, and it doesn't have this hive mind where people just go along to get along. So there's lots of aspects to it. Oh, there's other, also the keeper test, which some people probably feel is pretty ruthless. Uh, in, in the States, it's, I think, a little bit easier to fire somebody than it is in Europe. Uh, and at Netflix, it's even easier to fire somebody. We, we have a, a saying that adequate performance is met with a healthy severance check. So if you are not performing at the top of your abilities, then we're going to evaluate you and, and potentially get rid of you which seems pretty ruthless, but in practice works much better. So you, you give a lot in a nutshell and expect a lot. You give <laughs> a lot, you expect a lot. Uh, I, I, you know, I tell people you got to be on your A game all the time, which is, it can be tiring, you know? Uh, but on the other hand, it's amazing working with everybody who's on their A game all the time. Yep. Okay. So you, like, if you have a bad day, You better don't go to work, yeah, but maybe, take a day off. Maybe, or? maybe take a day off, right? If you wake up and you're feeling really groggy, <laughs> you had a terrible night's sleep, like it's your freedom and responsibility to take the time off and get regroup and come. I mean, it's not to say that people aren't humane and warm and empathetic. They totally are. Um, but people expect so much of you. You can't really coast. You can't hide uh, at Netflix, which is what I signed up for. I, I knew full well what I was getting myself into because, again, Netflix's culture is pretty well known uh, in this area. And, and, and for how many days did you take off because you felt groggy in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> well, as the mother of two kids, I'm groggy every morning, uh, but I just learned how to deal with it a little bit more. I've probably taken a couple of, of personal days where I'm just like, oof, I can't adult today. I need to, I need to regroup um, and, and make sure that I'm modeling that for my team as well to let them know it's okay. It's okay to be off. Yep. Okay. And then I, okay. I take vacation yeah. too, but like you specifically okay. asked about those, like, Ooh, <laughs> those groggy days. And uh, do you also give something like, I don't know, a lot of companies give like unlimited vacation days and stuff like that. We or do you have unlimited vacation time as well? Yeah. Uh, and okay. you know, that's famously a double-edged sword for some people, It is. but we is. really try to model that throughout the organization all the way up that people do take time off. And when you take time off, you don't check in because you trust your team. Um, so you're an adult. You can figure out what works for you and your family, and you take it. Uh, so I would say here I have the least amount of guilt taking time off that I've had probably in my entire career, mm -hmm. which is great. Mm -hmm. And and how do you organize in the company? Is it do you do you build small 
squats like uh in the spotify model or like <laughs> how do you yeah how do you we uh we have a bunch of different groups um different organizations that all report up to a, a vp of engineering that then reports up to a singular vp of engineering uh mm-hmm. and my team is a central organization we service our customers are internal developers at Netflix and so when i'm when i use the word customer it's not the some you know the person sitting on the couch watching the show our customer yeah. is the person creating the applications that that people watch but- uh and our central organization we have three main groups within that uh, area one is productivity which is my organization um one is cloud infrastructure and another one is data platform uh, and within my productivity org, there are three pillars right now. There's develop, deliver, or delivery engineering, and observability engineering. And so we sort of model ourselves after the software development lifecycle uh, and what we work on. And I'm responsible okay. for develop. And, and how many teams or how many people are, are working in that org? Yeah, my org is about 60 right now. Uh, I have seven managers, five of whom report directly to me. And then two who are uh, report to one of my managers. And the full engineering org, Netflix. How big is that? Probably twenty three hundred or so. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, that's that's fine. That's fine. We run um, very lean. Very lean. We have, uh, you know, for for teams at other companies that would have thirty people, uh, we have five. We just—it's how we do it. <laughs> and, and is it a good team size? I mean, do you do you believe in that uh, efficiency that you get through less synchronization, uh, maybe? Or yeah, how do you see that? Well, I always think of uh, my team will hate me for this, but I always think the best team size is n minus one, right? Like you want to keep <laughs> you want to keep it lean. Um, obviously, there's a threshold that you don't want to go below where you don't have redundancy, where you don't have um, the kind of bandwidth to absorb interrupts, or you don't have the right kind of bandwidth to handle a support rotation, which is what our teams also manage uh, for our internal customers, and. I think, you know, there, there's an expression that a, volu- a, a gas will shrink or expand to fit the volume of the container. And no matter how many people you have, you'll always say you need more. I can do more with this. But really, it's a question of what are the overall team priorities? How do you not bloat teams so that the communication, the overhead, the combinatorics of who's talking to whom about what, why, when, how is all streamlined, right? Like we want to keep the processes lightweight. We want to have people who have close proximity to leadership teams. We don't want to have a ton of levels and hierarchy. Um, so I think our size is, we can always use more people and we ha- you know, potentially have skills gaps here and there, but I'd say the team size is, is pretty good. We just need to be more ruthless about our prioritization and about our scope, right? Okay. And um, if you say that you have like 60 people for productivity engineering, it sounds like um, a lot of internal tooling. Um, so we have 130 people across all of productivity engineering. My, okay, my okay. group is... That's in your group. Yeah, okay. my group is about 60. Uh, we have a lot of tools. <laughs> we have a lot of platforms that we support. We're a Java shop first. Uh, we support Node. We... 
also, you know, the evolution of a company that leans very heavily into freedom and responsibility. We've created a lot of things, <laughs> right? And and our customers are not mandated to use these things because we trust their judgment. And so we, the things that we create within productivity, we call the paved road. It is a way for us to, uh, to abstract and, and remove a lot of the Netflixism so that developers can get up to speed in a very performant, uh, effective, mm-hmm. secure way. But, you know, if, if we don't hit the 85% use case that our customer needs, they, can choose to use something else. Um, but then, you know, who, who owns that thing long-term who owns supporting that yeah, who yeah. owns remediation, if there's a security incident or things like that. So yeah. we have a, a pretty high product load <laughs> that we have to maintain and keep the lights on. We call it KTLO. I don't know how you all phrase that over there, but like there's just stuff to keep things running. So we have to keep the lights on of the organization and, and this work cannot not happen. And then on top of that is the feature work and the, the tech debt and the, the things like that. So we have a lot of stuff under management. <laughs> we probably need to continue to reduce that load, manage more for our customers, unify experiences, uh, have more end-to-end experiences for people. But yeah. But but when you say you have to manage more for your customers. I mean, first of all, I was really irritated when you when you mentioned customers in the in the pre-discussion yes, we were. had. And <laughs> I was really I didn't get it for the first time. But like, okay, understood. It's like the developer internally. Um, does the developer is the developer also responsible to run what? he or she builds or is that somehow managed by a central team? Yeah. It's one of our guiding principles that that you, you operate what you build effectively, but we provide the tools and the infrastructure to make that easier to do. Uh, It it doesn't scale if a centralized team then operates absolutely everything that our internal customers are building. Uh, we do own and operate some services, but these are things that are very high leverage and used more broadly across the organization. But if it's more of a federated model where you know we are supporting our customers to leverage our platforms and tools and infrastructure, and then to also be able to better operate. And, and that's part of the delivery and observability charters across productivity. Like we give you tooling to help set up the right profiles and CI, CD. And then once it's out, you know, how do you make sure that there's, you know, absolute health within the system and that you can troubleshoot any issues that come up through alerting and, you know, monitoring and notifications and things like that. So we're an enabler, right? We want to make it really easy for people to own and operate what they, what they build. Okay. Okay. So that that means effectively, um, you mentioned that your your Java shop first. Um, that I, as a developer, if I want to use Go, a Go maybe, as an example, the road is maybe a bit rockier for that. Yeah. Um, to to extend the, so the I can, metaphor, I can, I can do that, but <laughs> yeah. maybe it's not the best thing to try, right? Uh, so I just started at Netflix, or yeah. How does that look like? So not everything fits into a Java box, right? And and you know we yeah. do support uh, Node. We have a, a reasonably robust UI engineering support 
uh, as well. But a lot of our historical support for productivity has been through backend services through Java. But we use all sorts of language. It's at Netflix, right? Like you, you find the right you find the right language to do the right job, and we try to um, build out as much as many generalities as we can, and to make things as language agnostic as we can. But we can't we can't serve everybody. Uh, so what we so say you're a Go developer. Uh, we have communities across Netflix of people who are passionate about particular languages. And we call those community-supported models. So in some cases, we create tooling that can be extended or built out for specific uh, app types or languages. Uh, and then, again, federated, we try to do a lot of the heavy lifting we push out more the the more uh, bespoke or ad hoc, you know, language support to community teams, and we're constantly having conversations about what we should make part of the paved road versus you know more of a, a, a remote landing strip on an island. <laughs> to oh, extend and, that, is it, is it, yeah. Like in the recent years, like the like a lot of companies I know kind of came up with a tech ra radar. Is that yeah. something that, that you also do or? Yeah, we don't do it as formally uh, as we probably should. Um, we, we know that Python is on the bubble. Python is something that is very robustly community supported. We know that there's a lot of need in terms of machine learning and, uh, you know, our personalization and things like that. Uh, we have a pretty robust community. We have a robust community of people who are, trying to leverage it. Um, a lot of our technical directors outside of Netflix, the ones that are responsible for a lot of creative content use Python. And so it would be great uh, if we could expand our tooling and, and we probably will at some point in time. And so, you know, that radar chart to figure out what's the cost benefit analysis of <laughs> adopting versus not adopting and doing that, um, doing that math is, is, Well, we don't do it in a super formal way. We are hotly, hotly considering uh, expanding our remit. And when it comes to the, the, the stuff you build, um, is it that like at Netflix, you really have like for everything, you have your own tooling? Like, I, I don't know, you have your own CICD um, and someone build it? <laughs> Or like, where does it where does it start? Where does it end? Yeah, we we. We roll our own. I mean, if you look across the industry, how entrenched people are in their own platforms and infrastructure and tooling is really dependent on the size of the company, the age of the company, how much they're pushing the envelope in terms of scale, in terms of latency, in terms of things that conventional third party just is not tuned to do, right? And so... A lot of companies that started a little while ago start building their stuff from scratch. Uh, we have a lot of things that are built from scratch. Or the Netflix ecosystem is is pretty complicated, but you got to start picking up and looking outside and saying, you know what, the industry has caught up in some of these areas. So is it time to revisit our owning and maintaining this thing, <laughs> or going with something that's either open source or more enterprise? Uh, to take over a lot of the things that we've built from scratch because the keep the lights on cost, that maintenance cost of owning something 
that maybe that's not where your heart is or where your business is, is really painful. It's an anchor. It just, it, it keeps the team back. So we do have a lot of bespoke tooling. We do have complicated ecosystems, right? Like we care a lot about latency where we, we test the network all the time. So many people streaming, particularly during COVID, right? Like just, uh, that was everybody's uh, source of, of relief. Um, so yeah, we, we, we probably could do a little bit better on that build versus buy decision. Uh, and it, for more sustainable companies, you lean more into buy depending on, you know, how, uh, how much money you have in the bank and, and how much, how many resources you have or just how, how much of an anomaly the things you are that you are doing. Right. Um, but look how far AWS has gone. Like, look how far Google Cloud has come in their offerings and, and being able to tailor and work very closely with companies on what they need, right? If you're if you're a juggernaut, like a Google or a Netflix, or let's say a, like a Netflix or, um, you know, an, a, other like one or two application companies, depending on how many users you have and your market cap and things like that, these other companies want to have your input on their roadmap, Right. You, you can partner very closely with a lot of these other companies and say Netflix needs this and they'll be like, sounds good. We'll get it in there. <laughs> yeah, right? I can imagine. And I, I would say like in the last five years or in the last 10 years, there were like also so many changes in like the, the, the amount of tooling available, the, oh, yes. the quality of, of tools, the quality of open source. Um, I mean, just CICD as an example. I mean, it started maybe like 10 years ago, you would rather have used Jenkins and three years ago you started with GitHub Actions and yeah. um, <clears throat> it's so much better. Um, oh, it's so than, much better. Yeah. yeah. But when's and, the, and, where's that magic balance, right? Of like not constantly looking outside and thrashing teams and adopting the latest and greatest, but finding that right balance of like, this is what we should build. This is what we shouldn't yeah. build. Let's keep an eye maybe every year or two years. And it's almost a full-time job keeping on, on top of this stuff. But like, yeah. you know what? We don't need this anymore. We can move to GitHub Actions. Uh, in fact, or, I'm just saying that hypothetically, but like oftentimes the modifications that we've made when we roll our own are just to have parity with things that are, you know, surpassing in the marketplace, uh, which is really interesting. And in how many cases... Um, do you actually see the market surpassing? I mean, um, I, I, I feel that this might happen a lot, right? That you that you just came up with like an own tool and and uh, yeah, like somewhere for I don't know building applications or something, and then yeah, or even suddenly similarly. you discover something much greater out there. Yeah. How often does that happen? Pretty frequently. Uh, yeah. you know, something like source control management or even project management tooling, because we own those things as well. Um, wow. we'll, we'll pick things that are third party and then even their, and, and we'll try to adjust those third party things for our needs. And then competitors come by like crazy. And then they open up like a whole new world of capabilities or they're willing to incorporate our ideas for their roadmap Right, like that happens all the time, and it also happens all the time with with the bespoke tooling that we've created from scratch. But like, how, how do you make sure that you're not constantly thrashing the team, and how do you make sure that you're 
having, you're creating a durable decision at the time at which you're like, we're going to roll our own. Um, and you'll see, you know, we, we do this a fair amount too, where it's like, we need to be scrappy. We need to Frankenstein something together. And we're going to use a bunch of, you know, third party things or things we already have on the shelf. Um, but then once we've tested and learned, we're a very big test and learn culture and we see where the friction points are. We're like, okay, we need to create something on our own now. Like we try to cobble together something with things that already exist. Uh, that seems to be a mode we've been in recently. And how often are, what, 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 what is the, how much technical depth do you have in the teams? Like how often do you, I mean, And in so many, like even small teams these days, I see a lot of replatforming happening all the time, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and I can imagine, like, if you have such a big company with so many internal tools, that this like replatforming, like yeah. potentially away from own tools, potentially turn new own tools, potentially to cloud oh, tools yes. that are out there. Like, how much re much replatforming do you have? You know, over here, and I'm sure it's true there too, uh, the second you drive the car off the lot, it depreciates immediately, right? <laughs> like it's the same thing. The second you push something out, you are starting to accumulate technical debt. Uh, yeah. We have a, a fair amount, right? We're, we're in, not an older company, but, you know, in terms of tech companies, we've been around for a while. We have a lot of really big systems. Uh, one of the things that we have within productivity is a way to evaluate how much technical debt you have. And we have like campaign management tooling where we can tell you you're drifting. You haven't updated your libraries. Like we, we have these change campaigns that we post across the organization. Like these are security patches you need. This is updates you need. Uh, get on it. <laughs> right. Um, so the, you know, a large part of what we do within productivity is migrations. We've created new things and we need to get people off of the old thing onto the new thing. Uh, yeah. And this is for updated language versions. This is updated libraries. This is, Oh, we figured out a much better, better way to do this. So you got to just wholesale abandon and adopt this new thing. Um, it's uh it's, it's an ongoing struggle <laughs> and challenge How and opportunity. As, as an example, maybe like how quickly did you get rid of Log4j back then or replace oh, that? that Log4j, I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, we rallied so hard around Log4j. Uh, it was remediated in a few weeks, but th there was the added struggle of the patches that everybody thought were the ones that remediated had to be incremented again. It was like two or three different versions that you had to update to finally get to a fully remediated patch. And there were some really interesting challenges for us um, because again, not everybody's on the paved path, right? We would love for people to be on the paved path. Uh, and we, we want to make sure that we're creating things that, that are very compelling and cover the use cases. But for the folks that aren't on the paved path, how do you find them to remediate them? How do you, how do you help with like code scanning and things like that? So we were able to do it pretty quickly for a big org 
And again, we're not as big as like the Ericsson, the Ericsson's, the Microsoft's and the Google's and things like that. But um, we rallied hard. That was right around the holidays. Such a wonderful time. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah. That was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and and um, like, honestly, you like working in that company and enjoying the culture. You also sometimes think, okay, what if we just picked like some boring tech stack that is out there that is like unified and simple for the whole organization? Is that like sometimes do you sometimes think that or? Oh gosh, wow! I think everybody. What, what if we just had picked like one framework in Java or I don't know the Play framework, whatever? Yeah, I think everybody fantasizes about that, right? Like, oh, wouldn't it be so much easier if dot dot dot? We have so much amazing business logic built into the things that we're doing for specific reasons that 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 never works as well as you expect it to. Um, gosh, yeah. Is there a silver bullet? If there were, we'd all be out of a job. <laughs> 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 Or at least not the people building the silver bullet. Uh, I'd say that, you know, we're getting... One way that we're trending more towards that is, you know, I mentioned freedom and responsibility and I mentioned context, not control, which are two very strong aspects of the Netflix culture. We need to have more opinions within productivity and across the org saying, hey, maybe you should really be on paved path. And it's really not as up to you as you think. I mean, it is entirely up to you to be on or not to be on, but for us to really explain the responsibility of not being on paved path. What is the cost of that? How, how much of a lift will it be for you? And it's not just you personally, but what kind of a lift are you putting on the rest of the team to remediate, to, to update? You know, if you reorg and you've got this orphan service, like, have you really thought through the implications of that? So when you go off paved path, you got to think through it. So um, it, it's been a, a bit of a shift, but like, Our, our team needs to be more opinionated. I, when I first started uh, a couple of years ago, I was reading through some documentation and we're so far into the context, not control. that it's like, Hey, if you want to do this, you could do it this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. <laughs> and I, I was like, I went to the, the lead developer and I was like, well, what, what way do you want them to do it? Oh my God, it's this. I'm like, well, say that and tell them why. Well, no, 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 I'm providing context. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> We pay you for your expertise. We need to abstract all that other stuff away. And, and if this doesn't fit their use case, then sure, in smaller font, <laughs> tell them about the other options, like keep getting progressively smaller, right? For the things that, that are harder for us to manage. White on white at a certain Exactly, point, yeah. <laughs> I know. You're like wingding six point down at the bottom. But that, I mean, we have to be more opinionated. People are paying us for our opinions. Right. Yeah. So we're getting, that's probably the silver bullet as much as the silver bullet could be. Uh, but there is no one, you know, one language or one framework to rule them all. Yeah. I, I guess that for a company of that size, that would also maybe not be possible. Um, not possible. Um, and, you know, for, we, we have a couple of different businesses within Netflix. We have streaming. Yeah. We have studio for our content creation, and now we have gaming 
right? And each one of those things is optimized for a different thing. Uh, and then like a, a client in a Tesla might be written in another framework than, I don't know. A yeah. For, and if, Mac or whatever. if we're partnering with third-party people with gaming, right? Like what technology do they use? We can't be prescriptive about that. Can't uh, say, no, no, no. You guys all got to be Java people and you got to use the source control and you got to use, you know, these pipelines. No, they're going to go, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> right. So we have to be, we have to be accommodating and meet our customers where they are, but also in a way that scales. And um, understood that you trust people a lot and that you maybe like also like just ask your customers that what they want. Right. I mean, uh, the, the internal customers. Yes. How, how do you measure then success of, of, of your, The, the, the stuff you build is that like just net promoter score or is there is there more i mean do you use like something internally yeah. also for the full org like dora metrics do you measure velocity and stuff like that or yeah so so net promoter score is awesome for external customers because you have statistical significance with the number of people that you're evaluating um, and interestingly enough, I learned last year the net promoter score for central teams that service internal customers are traditionally much lower apples to apples. It's just like you just have a, a not a grumpier, but a, a more educated, a more technically educated workforce. Right. Um, so we have been uh, leveraging more. Door is great, but we're going beyond that with space, which is Nicole Forsgren's um, sort of like satisfaction, performance, activity, um, communication, and efficiency. I think I got that right. <laughs> it's it's a lot, but how our teams are doing, how our customer, our internal customer teams are doing in terms of their own developer satisfaction. Like, I would recommend this is a place to work for other developers I have in my network. When I leave, I get emotional about the tools I'm going to leave behind, right? Uh, if I leave. Um, on performance, you know, how quickly can somebody go from idea to pushing that idea out the door? Um, we have some ones that we can actually measure, measure. Uh, one of the things that we're indexing on is like, how long does it take you to generate an application? Right. And, and we have a lot of app gen code. So how do we, how do you get up and running? How long does it take you to do that? Uh, there are a lot of dependencies, a lot of things that get brought down. And are you sitting there? Is it enough for you to go get coffee or can you, or do you have to go to lunch? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. So those kinds of things um, are ways for us to measure. We do surveys. Uh, we ask a bunch of pointed questions like how is it, how easy is this to use? Is it helpful? Can you discover the things that we own and operate? Do you, you know, how good is our documentation? How good is our support and things like that? Um, but really those are very subjective and it depends on has the person had coffee or not that morning? <laughs> like the timing of these surveys matters. They, they're very up for <laughs> interpretation, right? Um, but we also do some, some uh, more in-depth customer interviews. Just walk me through your day. Let me see what you're doing. Uh, do you know how to do this? Um, and then also anecdotally from support, like people who come into our support channel, what, what are their pain points? How, you know, is it death by a thousand cuts? 
uh, or are there really big blockers for people? So we have a bunch of different feelers, but we're really trying to get more crisp around the the space metrics. And we do Dora as well, like mean time to resolve, mean time to respond, mean, you know, like a lot of the, you know, more hardened uh, operational metrics as well. People always forget about instrumenting for metrics, by the way, and it's like you do it later, and which means it doesn't really get done. So, <laughs> yeah. And 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 space, uh, you said you're not measuring it constantly. Um, like, how, how is that then? So do we you do we yeah. yeah. So with with space, something like uh, performance we are measuring that constantly. Like what is the startup time performance? Obviously, what is the We're not, we're not like, just standing behind the developer with a stopwatch, like do it again. Let me see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But for other things that are a little bit more subjective, you know, you have to do those at, at regular intervals and touch points. Um, but we have so many things, so much tooling. Uh, it would be a Herculean effort to go and instrument absolutely everything. So we have to be very judicious about, Okay, this is high leverage. This is a you know a Java tool that people like a ton of people use. Um, let's go in and, and be very thoughtful. Um, and then let's also measure the things that we're going after. Like we know we're going after this, so let's let's instrument this up and let's make this the theme of the next couple of semesters. So yeah, it, it's a you know what, what gets what gets measured matters like oh what is the expression like if, if you don't measure it you're not paying attention to it um, but there are a bunch of different ways that you can measure things and a lot of that comes through developer satisfaction not net promoter score i mean that's helpful but it's not the only thing so maybe coming back to you as a person um how do you manage to keep Uh, a vital work-life balance. And uh, I mean, it sounds really <laughs> stressful sometimes. And yeah. you have kids, Gosh. you have husband. Like, how do you? Yeah. You know, I read this really interesting article a little while ago called The Corporate Athlete. Uh, I think it was in the Harvard Business Review. I, I could be misciting that. Um, but it's all about like, it, it, I'm an athlete. I like, I'm a runner, a biker. Uh, I lift weights. I like, I manage to prioritize that very highly in my life. Um, my kids are also teenagers, so they don't really want to hang out with me anymore, which is great. <laughs> It's great for them. Um, so I have a little bit of time and the time that I spend outside of work, I am usually trying to exhaust myself and I get rid of a lot of like work stress and anxiety that way. I also find I do my best thinking if I'm running or biking or, you know, or do whatever, but I, I just prioritize that stuff and other things hit the skids. Uh, like I, I'm not a very well put together person. <laughs> you know, I don't, don't spend a lot of time on like, You know, I, luckily I can work in an industry where I wear hoodies and, and sneakers and, you know, soft pants every day, which is great. So it's just all where I prioritize, but I, I make sure that I'm working in a, a fun environment and, and I'm creating a culture that's fun. And, and I like to joke a lot. I like to laugh a lot. Uh, and I know some of the stuff that we're doing is hard and complicated. And I know the last couple of years have been really challenging for a lot of people. Um, but I try to 
create an environment where, you know, I'm spending a third of my day, a third or, you know, more of my day working with these folks, I might as well have a good time. And we're in entertainment. I can't take myself too seriously, right? It's not like we're doing brain surgery here. Um, so just keeping that perspective and that framing. I also, um, I try to never use the word busy because I'm, I'm very lucky and very privileged and I get to pick the things that I do and work on. And unless I'm, you know, going after those, those bare necessities of life, like it's all my choice of where I spend my time. So when people are like, Catherine, oh my God, aren't you so busy? You have so much going on. I'm like, no, 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 this is all I choose. I choose what I do. I choose where I spend my time. Um, and I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. Right. Uh, if, if there was a health situation or, <clears throat> I mean, I'm just very privileged. So I try to keep that perspective. And in the Netflix culture, is there like the right to, to, to switch off somehow embedded? I mean, in, in a lot of, I, I see that in a lot of companies, <laughs> I think you have Slack always on, um, like people are messaging you, yeah. Uh, you know, there's everyone expects an, an, an answer like I feel, all the time. I feel like I can set boundaries. I'm one of those people that is always checking because I feel like my role as a manager, I have a responsibility to make sure that people are okay. Or if there are any fires or things like that, like I, the buck stops with me, I'm accountable for that. Um, but I have so much faith and trust in my team that if I'm not there, it's not, oh my God, it's, it's all going to fall apart. So I feel comfortable stepping away and, you know, I, I have sort of an escalation plan. If you can't reach me, then you can reach any one of my managers. If you can't reach them, they have people that they can trust and it all, it, it, it will be fine. So I'm able to unplug. Um, I like to keep a little bit plugged in. It annoys my family for sure. Uh, but, but I can unplug if need be. Um, but I just see it as part of the role. Like I need to know what's going on just so I can help other folks, mm. but it's also mm. okay. If I go dark for a bit, the world will not collapse. <laughs> yeah, <it> would, <laughs> and if it would does, I'm, yeah. For a company of, of your size, right? Um, yeah. it's also a personal decision in a way. I would be doing something wrong if I felt like I couldn't take yeah. a few weeks off and just go completely off the grid. Uh, that means that I haven't built a leadership team that's amazing. So, so um, is there the latest and greatest productivity tool or or hack that you recently discovered that you recommend to everyone? Oh my like gosh! Something you you really think is great and everyone should be doing oh, or using? Yeah! Wow. Um, does this have to be Netflix related or otherwise? It could no, be anything. No, no, no. Oh, no, it could be anything. Um, I am somebody who likes to write stuff down. It, it just helps me remember it, but I never go back and look at it again. I just, the act yeah. of writing it down helps. And so I feel, uh, you know, the people on the podcast can't see this, but like I go through a thousand notebooks a month, just <laughs> writing things down and to-do lists and 
and everything. You, you work for Evernote, right? <laughs> I used to work for Evernote. You're exactly right. Like, <laughs> I love productivity. I love thinking about like how to be more productive. But I also realize like I'm killing a bunch of trees doing this, and this is stupid. And I never go back and I look at this stuff. And so I actually just recently bought a notebook. It's only 40 pages big. It's not Evernote. Sorry, Evernote. Um, it's called a Rocket Book, and it's not paper. It's actually plastic, but it feels like paper. And I can write on it with pens and I can take a picture of the page and I'll upload it to the repository of my choosing, Dropbox, Drive, whatever, email, Twitter, if I want. Um, Evernote. <laughs> it will upload to Evernote too. I know. Um, and it does handwriting recognition. So you can search and stuff like that. And at the end of the week, I just erase it all. I just like use a little cloth and I clean it all up. And then my brain is clear. I don't have this anchor of a thousand notebooks behind me where I'm like, there's some nugget of something in there that would be really helpful for me. No, it's, it's gone. I'm just like, I'm dumping my cash every week and I don't have to worry about it anymore. And that's been really helpful, except for the time I used a real pen on this and I added a bunch of check marks that I can't erase now, but that's okay. That's my own. It's not going to be perfect, uh, but it's been really helpful. And like, it's tiny too. Um, I've been happy with it so far. It's like 17 US dollars. It's nothing. $17. $17. I know. And yeah. no more notebooks. No more notebooks for me. <laughs> um, but uh, other productive things, like I, I love to run. I love to bike. I like to run in bike places as part of my commute. And I do a lot of my work prep and thinking while I'm doing that. I don't listen to podcasts or anything because that's dangerous. But like, I'll just... Like, okay, for the next hour, I'm just going to be thinking about work and I'd be solving these problems. And it's like two birds and one stone, killing two birds with one stone. So is it a one-hour bike ride to, to the company? or? So I haven't been able to bike to Netflix yet because Netflix is about 17 miles from my house. But I used to, uh, when I worked at Evernote and I worked at Chan Zuckerberg, that was about a 10-mile 10, 10 bike ride. So I could get there in about 45 minutes with all the traffic and, and things like that. And sometimes I'd run it because I'm a little bit weird that way. Uh, and I would just, I just think about work. That's it. It's very, it's a nice, it's a nice thing. And actually I suffered from not having a commute for a long time with COVID where I didn't have that morning, think about work, plan the day. And I didn't have like the wind down and think about work and, and sort of extricate yourself on the way home. That became really challenging. Um, but yeah, that's a big productivity hack. Use exercise as transportation. <laughs> if you can you know i actually have a 20 minute walk to the office and i i, I right now consider like moving a bit further away and that's why i'm ask, asking um like yes. 10 kilometers um do it feels it feels too much for me it is not <laughs> too much for you it may be too much early but if you stick with it it'll become nothing uh, okay and in fact i used to i had a seven mile commute uh, to like an 11 or 12 kilometer commute to my job, uh, when I was working at Ericsson and I would extend it to 50 kilometers just to get enough time in. <laughs> right. But I have older kids. It's, it's okay. They're, they're pretty independent. When I was, you know, uh, I had younger kids, I, I didn't have as much time to do these kinds of things, but I find it actually as, as a corporate athlete, like it, improves your focus, it improves your endurance, it reduces your stress. You just have to get away from 
what you're deep into every hour or 90 minutes, like take a little walk, clear your head. Uh, it, it's all, it's all very related to, to being into sports and, and being athletic and things like that. Yeah. Oh, thanks a lot for that tip. Um, I still <laughs> have a little surprise for you. So as a, as an outro question, um, I on my my Apple TV I I run the latest beta version of of TVOS and um like the Netflix version on it is also a bit newer um and yet unreleased as far as I know. Ooh. And it, it has a little feature, a little easter egg that someone built into the search um it's a time machine feature. Um and it it allows us like through just entering time machine and Catherine 2007, it allows us to travel back into the year 2007 when you worked as software developer uh, or software development engineer level two at Microsoft. And um, <laughs> we now have the chance to, to observe yourself for a while. You're like coding a lot, doing oh the IC gosh. stuff, right? And, and, and you now have the chance to whisper something into, into young Catherine's ears. Um, oh my what gosh. would it be? Wow. Oh, probably floss more, I guess. No, let's see. Um, gosh, don't sweat the small stuff, right? Just just keep taking those opportunities as they come and don't sweat the small stuff. But also really focus on company culture before you make the decision to go anywhere. I mean, you get really excited about the pay. You get really excited about the projects and things like that. But make sure that you're asking those questions about like, What is it? What is it really like to work here? How does this company learn from its mistakes? How transparent is the leadership team? Uh, do you trust the leadership team? You know, do do you, how easy is it for you to to get things done? Like really understand the culture because I think when you're your earlier career and you know this this is a podcast for for more senior people, but it's still just as important because you're going to be setting the culture. But they're going to be headwinds if the values of the company don't line up with your own. There's only so much you can do, you know, as one person anywhere within the organization. Um, so make sure that, that that is something that you really vibe with uh, or you feel like you can augment. It. I don't call it culture fit. I call it culture ad. Where can I be a culture ad? Or where can the culture augment my experience? That's so important. It's not about the money. I mean, money is nice, right? Like you don't want to take a 50% pay cut, uh, but it's really about the sustaining, the culture. Company culture is so important. That's what I would whisper to my 2007 self. I remember okay. that job. Okay. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> I got out of there kind of fast. I wasn't there super long because the culture wasn't great. It wasn't, it wasn't great. And this is a very small part of Microsoft Silicon Valley, uh, which is like a satellite office working in the Macintosh business unit within Microsoft. Can you imagine? Okay. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Especially back then. Um, it oh, most yes. likely wasn't the, the best unit to work in. So. No. And it was, it was, uh, I mean, there were wonderful people there. Don't get me wrong, but we were working on um, office for Mac And the, the lead time for that is like three years. It's the mm. most waterfall of waterfall of waterfall. And, and that's just, that's <laughs> not my jam, not my jam. And, so. and somehow a business line that, especially back then, wasn't like maybe the, the best 
performing one or the most interesting one. So I, I can't imagine. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it was weird. Cause like I would show up and, and most of the office would work from home. And so I was all by myself there. Like, uh, hello, hey Glenn, really? hello, wow. anyone here? And I'm on the end of this hallway and I mean, Microsoft has a lot of wonderful aspects to it, but I think, I think anytime you pick a satellite office and you pick a product, that's not like the highest priority for a company, you got to think twice about that one. You want to get something that's high visibility, high impact, unless you just want to kind of coast or, you know, so yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Catherine. Thank it was you, really amazing talking to you. Um, really great insights. Um, and uh, it seems to be like a really interesting job you have there at Netflix and, and, and culture you have there. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's famous, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a very, <laughs> a very lucky person. Uh, it, <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for your time. So, thanks a lot and enjoy your day. Thank you. I hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Alphalist podcast. If you like this episode, share it with friends. I'm sure they'll love it too. Make sure to subscribe so you can hear deep insights into technical leadership and technology trends as they become available. Also, please tell us if there is a topic you would like to hear more about or a technical leader whose brain you would like us to pick. Alphalist is all about helping CTOs getting access to the insights they need to make the best decisions for their company. Please send us suggestions to cto at alphalist.com. Send me a message on LinkedIn or Twitter. After all, the more knowledge we bring to CTOs, the more growth we see in tech. Or as we say in Alphalist, accumulated knowledge to accelerate growth. See you in the next episode.